Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is back this weekend and back on the road. First time ever to Paris. UFC Paris is for sure going to be a good one. We'll be breaking down that exciting main event between Tai Tuivasa and Surreal Gain, as well as two other of our favorite fights on that main card. Put a farts, fights, dogs, and parlays, where we will also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to that, we're giving you two interviews from guys coming up on the Contender Series. Joining us first is Ray Waters, who has taken a short notice chance in fighting on Contender Series for Week 7. And then we'll be talking to Liana Liu, speaking of Europe, who is from Italy and will be fighting on Week 9. We're going to get a few to all of that great content right now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Trey Waters, who fights Gabriel Bonfim at Dana White's Contender Series Week 7. That fight is on September 6th. So, Trey, I-, I wanted to start here, you know, looking at some of the websites that usually list these kinds of fights, the tapologies, if you will, of the world. Some of them are still listing a different opponent for Gabriel. How long ago did you get notice for this fight, and-, and have you had close to a full training camp for it? Yeah, I've noticed that. I I took this fight about a week and a half ago, so it's still fresh. I did not get a full camp. I know his original opponent. It was um his name was like Felix Clickhammer or something, but uh he he was originally supposed to he was scheduled to fight him, but I get he fell out for some reason, and I just recently got that call about a week and a half ago. So no, I didn't get a full camp, but um I stay ready, so it's not a big deal. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Now, obviously, you know, for everybody, it's an emotional time when you get that call for Contender Series. It's a big moment, a chance, you know, to finally realize a huge dream. You had that big knockout win at LFA 133, you know, devastating knee, puts a dude out completely cold. Did you expect this kind of call to be the next call for you? I, I did. I honestly did. I um, I wasn't 100% sure because still 6-0, that's still kind of like up in the air you you're like you know you're still kind of you're kind of close like if you're going to get the call or not but uh, i figured it being lfa and it being a knockout like it was that that would be my next call i, mean, I wasn't 100 percent sure but i was i was expecting it a little bit well that's good to hear now e- even those who expect it i'm sure are still going through a lot of emotions when they finally do get to hear either from you know their agent or whatever person gets the chance to tell them that this is happening what were the emotions like for you yeah man it was it was awesome it's definitely a dream come true because i mean we all sacrifice so much and you can do all the right things and still not get the opportunity that's still, that's still a possibility so it 100% felt it, it was a blessing. It felt amazing to get the call, to get the opportunity. And that's why I did not hesitate to, to say yes, you know? Absolutely. Now, I, I usually like to get these kinds of stories out of fighters. I'm a big junkie in, in finding out 
fighters' nicknames and where they come from. Do you mind giving us the story behind the truth? Where did where did the truth come from? Yeah, honestly, it's pretty. It's honestly very loaded. Like I come across reasons like very frequently that that makes me fit that name so accurately. It's pretty crazy. But um, I I believe honestly that a lot of people kind of like okay, you know that saying that there's his story, my story, and then there's the story kind of thing. Like I I truly believe that my perspective on things is as close to the truth as it could be like you know i'm very non-biased when it comes to just about anything in my life i'm i I try to stay as close to the truth as i can and um that's one reason i also just like i also believe i'm just the truth when it comes to the skill in mma um there it's, it's a lot of different reasons you know i it's hard to really. It's hard for him to come to me right now, but there's a. It just. It's a perfect nickname for me. I did have Trey Deepwaters, but once I realized that everyone last name Waters chooses that nickname, so I was like, yeah, I need to change that up a little bit. And the truth was just perfect, perfect fit. I think we've actually had two Deepwaters in the UFC too. So yeah, you you can't be the third Deepwaters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I gotta be. Because I'm going to be completely different, man. I plan on making a big splash here in the UFC. So I love it. Now I, I can't be holding on to that name that everyone else has. <laughs> well, I love it. So let, let's talk about the fact that in your last fight, you know, that big knockout that we're talking about, you know, you are not just going into that fight to make a statement. Your first LFA fight, right, coming mostly from, from Combat Night Pro down in Florida – but also, you were coming in as a huge underdog, despite that undefeated record you talked about. Is is that something that you pay attention to? Because I imagine being a guy who's you know not even announced as an opponent for another big name like Gabriel Bonfim, like that's probably going to happen again, right? Right, right. Uh, and actually, that was my third when I fought in Combate Global, and I fought a guy named Rudo Tavar. The same exact thing happened. I was a pretty, I was an underdog. And um, from what I re- I believe I was an underdog from what I remember, but um, so I'm not. I mean, honestly, it doesn't really, it doesn't get, it doesn't get in my head at all because I know the skills that I possess and I do understand that how I could be overlooked based off the opponents that I have faced. You know, so I I get it. I I, I understand. I don't take it personal, but I do. I like it. I enjoy to go in there and prove myself. Just against a guy like Ben, like rightfully so that he was, he was so much of a favorite. I'm well, I won't say rightfully so that he was, he should have been so much of a favorite over me. But I do understand his hype. He does have a lot of amateur experience. The guy has beat big names that are even in the UFC right now. So I understand why he, you know, what I'm saying I get it. He and he was a really tough opponent. He really, he really had a lot of. Um, a lot of things that um, nullified my game, I would say. He did a very good job at doing that. So. Now, now, in there, you 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 mentioned all that amateur experience that Ben, your last opponent, had. But you yourself, I, I feel like you know you were talking about only being five and zero at this point, or only being six and zero. You're a guy with tons of amateur experience. How much do you feel like that sort of shaped who you are as a fighter, too? Man, uh, that's a great question, and it's. It, it shaped me a lot. I, it did a lot for me. And honestly, that's the thing that I look at when it comes to 
my opponent, Bonefiend, he he did he didn't have an amateur record. So and he yes, he's twelve and zero, but those he has twelve amateur. I mean, he has twelve fights. Period. And also, a lot of his fights were you know promotions that none of us really know about. Just just I mean, so that's the thing that I take into consideration. Yeah, I might be six and zero. He might be twelve and zero, but I have an amateur career. He doesn't. So that experience does matter. I because I grew tremendously in my amateur career. The losses that I took as an amateur was the biggest turning points of my career. And I, I believe that I grew the most from that. So it, it benefits me a ton. So, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, I, I definitely think that it, it helped. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now I want to talk about specifically the stylistic matchup here with Bonfim because he, he's a guy where, you know, you look at his record and it's loaded with submissions, right? That That's clearly his bread and butter, the thing he likes to do. How do you feel like your jiu-jitsu and your style matches up with that kind of style? Well, the truth is you can see that on paper he does have submissions and stuff, but that's not his, that's not his game. If you, look at my, if you look at my record, I have three submissions, two knockouts. So I have more submissions than anything as well. But that's not my game. I am a striker. What happens is guys all try to force grappling upon me because they don't want to stand with me, and that's when I choke them. I think that's kind of a similar thing with Gabriel. He's more of he is a he is a grappler, but I honestly think he's he likes to strike. So I, with the thing is, if you want to grapple someone in the fight and that other guy is not trying to grapple, you have to initiate the grappling using wrestling. So in order for Gabriel to get me down to the ground and use his jiu-jitsu, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to show some really good wrestling. So that's what I don't think he has the wrestling to get me to the ground. So that's one of those things that I don't think I'll have to too much even worry about because I think we're very similar in that aspect. We have most submissions due to the fact that guys try to grapple us and they get choked in the process. And do you think, too, the fact that this is on Dana White's Contender Series, one of those shows where, you know, Dana has talked to pretty much all season about, like, you know, being exciting and looking for finishes and looking for putting on that highlight reel. Do you think it's a possibility that this just turns into a war and neither of the guys with, you know, loaded submission records even tries to, to bring it there and you just let it bang it out? Well, I don't think, me personally... I don't think that there's a man in MMA, even that's signed to the UFC already, that is going to willingly stand in front of me and strike. Same goes for Gabriel. As good of a striker as he is, I promise I believe that I'm going to touch him, and he's going to try to force the grappling. I really believe so. Well, then, I, you know, I, I usually like to end these interviews by asking a fighter for a prediction. Is that what you see happening then? You see him, you know, getting frustrated with the striking, going in for the grappling, and you getting the finish then? I see that happening. I don't think that he'll – I don't believe he'll commit fully enough to trying to take me down and enough for me to get the sub. What I think that will happen is he will – I'll touch him. He will try to initiate the grappling, but he'll realize that he – that's not going to be easy. So he will be forced to kind of stand in front of me, and I think that I'll I'll drop him on the feet. I think I'll finish him on the feet. All right. Well, you're here to hear. First, folks, this has been Trey Waters, who fights Gabriel Bonfim at 
Dana White's Contender Series Week 7, that fight, September 6th. Trey, thank you again so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Trey Waters. Once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we are now away from having, just a, a whisper away from having our first ever UFC card in Paris. Obviously, there, there's so much to say about finally getting a fight card there. There's, you know, a weird feeling about it not being Francis Ngannou's headlining it. What do you think of what they've put together here for the first trip over those seas. Uh, we, we say magnificent. Yes, of course it would be great if Francis, Francis Naganu was headlining, but sometimes those things don't line up. It's a really fun card. It's also in the middle of the day for us East coasters, uh, and not a pay-per-view. So, I mean, I'm happy with it. And I would hope that Cyril Gain, uh, and Taitu Yuvasa put on a show. I don't think the French fans will be unhappy when all is said and done, just because you have a lot of good fights on the card and should it turn into one of those heavyweight bangers, which is what we're all expecting. Of course, that can lead to a five-round boring decision, but I don't think it's going to go that way. I think they'll be very happy with it, too. What about you? Yeah, I think they did a really good job of uh, grabbing some French talent or grabbing the French talent that they already had and putting it on the card, but not going crazy and feeling like you have to find every decent prospect from France to put them on the card. Cause you remember, you know, like back in the day when we used to watch events like UFC China or, you know, UFC South Korea, the UFC always snatched up like two or three prospects. And then afterwards you were like, they really shouldn't stay around either. Right. And, and like, for the most part here, they didn't do that. You know, they got William Gomi who is uh, definitely ready to go in the UFC. He'll be a perfect addition to their featherweight division. But apart from that, they just, like, tacked on, you know, Nisordian Imavov and Benoit Saint-Denis. And, like, they, they didn't go out of their way to grab people who don't belong in the UFC. Instead, it's just, like, a really nice, well-put-together European card. Yeah, I'm not I'm not mad at it. And I'll tell you what else I'm not mad at. It's our favorite edition, our favorite segment on the show, I should say. It's UFC Paris edition for fights, dogs, and parlays. After a week break of no fights, we get to break down a few fights, give a live dog to play, and a parlay to play. But Gumby, before we get to this edition of Fights, Dogs, Parlays for UFC Paris, one may wonder if anyone sponsors it. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record. He gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and his official bets. But that's not all for the same great price. You also get access to their brand new base AI prediction software, which they're tweaking the advanced algorithm at all times to give you accurate predictions and percentages for every possible outcome for every possible UFC fight. They got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy sports one, if that's your gig. So go check them out at MMA Play 365 and don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package. With it already so affordable to begin with, it's a deal you can't afford to pass up. That's MMA Play 365. All right. Well, let's play our predictions for the main event. Cyril Gain is a minus 560 favorite to uh, the fun-loving, the fan favorite, the limousine-riding, uh, jet-flying 
chewy drinking son of a gun tied to Ivasa, but he's a plus 420 in this fight. Gain, of course, coming off his crack at the UFC Heavyweight Championship back in January of this year. Lost a unanimous decision to Francis Nagano, his first professional loss. He was 10-0, now sits at 10-1. I thought he had some really questionable decisions in that fight. Was definitely a little trigger shy from what we normally see. And, hey, that's understandable when going against Francis Nagano. I still didn't like some of his attacks just from the bottom, trying to leg lock, etc., um, but you know what? It was only his 11th professional fight, and that's kind of what you get. So I still don't think we've seen fully form Cyril Gaon, and he's certainly a huge favorite here, taking on Tai Tuivasa, who Tuivasa also started out like a bat out of hell. He was 9-0 and in the UFC, heading into June of 2018 after beating Andre Arlovsky, and then lost three in a row. He lost to the likes of Junior Dos Santos, Sergey Spivak, Blago Ivanov, but then came back, changed things up, reeled off five wins in a row, all of them KOs, TKOs, and he's coming off a huge KO over basically the gatekeeper of the division at this point, Derek Lewis. That was back in February, but he finds himself a four-to-one dog here. Who you got? So I, I just have to start my breakdown here by saying, like, I don't think there's a lot of value here on Surreal Gain, and, and it's not just because there, there's very little value on anybody at negative 500, but I would also say, you know, like you said, he, he had kind of some questionable decisions and he's never really fought somebody who I would consider like an analog to Tai Tuivasa, right? Is that like Derek Lewis is a guy who, who throws big punches and is, you know, like minorly aggressive at least, kind of like Tai Tuivasa, but he doesn't have a gas tank like Tai Tuivasa, right? Tai can keep banging rounds into fights, right? We've, we've seen him do that. So... Derek Lewis, not really that. I mean, Derek Lewis throws the big punch, but he doesn't seem like he's got any gas left and doesn't have any pace left. Whereas, like, you know, we've we've seen, you know, Tai Tuivasa go in there two rounds deep against Augusto Sakai and get it done. Two rounds deep against Derek Lewis and get it done. If you want to go way back, he, he went multiple rounds before and got it done. So, like, I just want to say that I think Tai Tuivasa has a path to victory here, and it's turning up the pressure you know, kind of making Surreal Gain fight like a fight with him and not letting him pick him apart. So I, with all that being said, if you've got a gun to my head, of course I'm not picking against a guy who's negative 500 here. I'm going to say he probably just sticks and moves and outpoints him in what will probably wind up being a largely disappointing to watch decision. Um, you know, I think back to Surreal Gain's fight with Alexander Volkov or maybe Yair Rosenstrike, not terribly fun to watch. I could see that happening here, too. But, look, look if, if you're betting on this fight, it's dogger pass, really. I like that breakdown. I agree completely. Uh, we'll move then to the co-main, and you know you're dealing with a good fight night, or in this case, in our case, a fight day card, when Robert Whitaker, the former middleweight champion, is, uh, you know, co- co-main eventing. And he's facing Marvin Vittori, another former title challenger, uh, Vittori, of course, lost to Adesanya um, when he vied for the middleweight championship, but then came back uh, in October of last year and beat Paulo Costa, another former title challenger, and, uh, you know, looks to try to establish a win streak here, but going against the former champ, Robert Whitaker, who's coming off his loss to Israel Adesanya, the second time he's lost to him. The two Adesanya losses are sandwiched uh, in between. He had a three-fight win streak with wins over Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum. This is interesting because 
both guys have losses side of Sonya. In Robert Whitaker's case, he has two. Not really sure where they could go with this, but neither of them want to lose um, while Idesanya has the lockdown on that title. Uh, probably a better chance of Vittori seeing a title shot off a win than Whitaker does, but Whitaker finds himself the favorite at minus 225. Vittori the plus 185. What do you think? Yeah, I think, first of all, you, you nailed it with these guys kind of in no man's land. The winner here has to be begging for Alex Pajeda to win and then hoping he wins the trilogy fight, too, so that the because you know that that Pajeda and, and Izzy are running it back if he loses. So you you got to basically hope for Pajeda to win twice to then get your title I, shot. But with that I, being I, said, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I agree with you completely. And I'll also say you still, no matter what, just want Pajeda to win because at the very least, hey. You never know. Maybe Idesanya gets injured. You never want to wish that on someone. You're at least right there in the mix as like a fill-in if the trilogy doesn't happen. Yeah, because because neither of these guys are getting trilogies anytime in the near future, right? Robert Whitaker is going to be waiting a while, even if he wins impressively here. Same with Marvin Vittori. And it doesn't help that neither guys are particularly big finishers either, right? Robert Wicker hasn't gotten a finish in five years, which I found out recently. And I was like, whoa, it feels like it was way more recent than that. But that being said, Taking Robert Whitaker here, you know, like you, you look at that Marvin Vittori-Paulo Costa fight, and really, he won three rounds to two against Paulo Costa, and you know, I, I think Paulo Costa's good, but at the same time, I just think uh, Robert Whitaker's at a different level, and the thing that Marvin Vittori does to try to beat you in these fights is he, he tries to make you think about his wrestling, and he tries to make you think that he's got multiple facets here. I just can't imagine him seriously threatening Robert Whitaker with his wrestling. I think Whitaker's wrestling defense is good. His his distance management is better than Paulo Costa's in those regards. And, and you know, like that's how Vittori beat guys like Jack Hermanson and uh, was it Kevin Holland and, and guys like that too. You make him fear the wrestling, and then you get your striking going too. I don't think you'll make Robert Whitaker fear the wrestling enough to beat him in an area where I think Robert Whitaker is ultimately a lot better than him. Agree, agree. Uh, another fun matchup, actually. Joaquin Buckley, who's had some highlight real KOs, is a plus 205, and Nazardine Amavov is a minus 250 favorite. Amavov is Dagestani-born, but at the age of 19, moved to Paris to start training, focusing in on MMA and striking. Uh, and he is on a two-fight win streak in the UFC after debuting with a win over Jordan Williams, came back and lost to Phil Haas via majority decision, and now has reeled off two wins in a row via TKO, one via elbows, one via knees and punches, over Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian, two nice names to build a win streak off of. So he has to feel good about his prospects heading into this as the favorite. But Joaquin Buckley, as we know, has been known to uh, to knock a fool out. Uh, he's on three-fight win streak and so coming off a TKO. Well, Dr. Stoppage uh, against Albert Durev, that was a win. Also earned him a performance of the night. Uh, Buckley, no stranger to performance of the nights. He has four of them since debuting in the UFC back in 2020. Uh, in the UFC as a whole, he's five and two, and he's the dog here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Masur Adini Mavov. Uh, While I do really like the power of Joaquin Buckley, I I just have a tough time imagining this guy staying out of range of 
Imavov when Imavov wants to snipe. You know, like his nickname's the sniper for a reason. The guy just picks people apart from the outside. And when you really look at what Buckley does, Buckley tries to bully people and just get crazy. And, like, I think he's just going to find himself chasing Imavov for a lot of that. And then when Imavov unloads, he's going to really unload because... You know, you, you mentioned that moment where you were, you were talking about the Impa Kasangane fight with, with the very nice head highlight from Joaquin Buckley. A lot of people thought he was losing that fight up into that point, right? It was toe-to-toe for sure. You know, you, you look back, he got outstruck, you know, in the very short amount of time by Alessio DeChirico. He only landed three punches in about half a round before he got knocked out. And yeah, you're right. Back-to-back to wins over here by Duraev and Alassane and Arroyo. But, like, you know, the Alassane fight, a lot of people thought he lost, too. And, you know, Alassane has definitely lost a step or two. I think Imavov is peaking at the right time here. I think he picks apart Buckley. And if Buckley gets a little overzealous, you know Imavov's got the knockout power as well. And Buckley's been knocked out a couple of times in the UFC. So, yeah, I'm all over Imavov here. Well, let's get all over our underdog of the week. It's John McDessie, a plus 170 uh, over Nazareth Hep. Forest, uh, MacDessie, don't adjust the dial. Don't think you're seeing a typo. MacDessie is still in the UFC at age 37 after being fairly active up until 2016. He's really only averaged about a fight a year since 2017. But going back to a loss against Lando Venato is one of those KO highlight reel wheel kicks, if you remember it. He's four and one in the UFC and he's coming off a split decision win back in April of 2021, so still, again, over a year. So this will be his one fight this year, because he averages one fight per year now at age 37. Let's hear it. Why do we like McDessie? So I love McDessie because that last fight against Ignacio Bahamondes gave me so much confidence in him. He went toe-to-toe with a guy who is not only younger than him, but he is so freaking lanky and such a good striker in Ignacio Bahamondes. Bahamundes, since that fight, has rattled off two wins back-to-back. Roosevelt Roberts, who he hit with a spinning wheel kick, and then Rong Zhu, who he, he bravo-choked. And so, literally, the only blemish on his UFC record is John McDessie in a split decision where he went toe-to-toe with the guy. And that kid is six foot three and has a 75-inch reach. That means when he was toe-to-toe with McDessie, McDessie was giving up seven inches of height and then a couple of inches of reach on top of that. So for McDessie to overcome that and be able to outstrike him, it gives me tons of confidence, especially fighting a guy like Nazrat Hakbrost, who's a little bit more his size, has had trouble getting his wrestling going, and has really gotten outstruck by, like, like he got outstruck by Bobby Green, and, like, he needed his wrestling to really get going against Hoffa Garcia in order to beat him. So, like, yeah, I, I have a lot of faith in, in John McDessie, and to be completely honest, I'm kind of shocked he was the dog here. All right. Well, let's get on with our parlay to play. It's Benoit St. Denis, a minus 225. Actually, I assume that's actually Benoit St. Denis, uh, if we're going with the French pronunciation. And Nazardine Imavov, a minus 250. Already spoke about him, but pair them together. Benoit St. Denis, minus 225. Imavov, minus 250. And it does get you plus 102 odds. Break it down. Yeah, so I already talked about why I like Imavov to pick apart Joaquin Buckley and pick up the win there. So let's just skip right to Benoit Saint-Denis. This guy had a tough debut in fighting a guy in Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos. Since then, he's returned to his natural weight class and shown that he is an absolute beast on the mats. 
he's going to be fighting somebody who's doing like he did in his debut, stepping up on short notice, fighting a guy who's probably outside of his league, and that's Gabriel Miranda. So Miranda stepping in here late to fight St. Denis so that they could keep him on the Paris card, giving basically Benoit St. Denis a showcase fight. And I think maybe the unknown of Gabriel Miranda and the fact that he's got kind of a big record is the only thing that's keeping this you know, fight from being, you know, negative 400 instead of negative 225. So get it while you can. Watch Benoit Saint-Denis go in there and absolutely steamroll him on the mat. And we'll see these two pick up the plus 102 for us. Boom. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to Fights, Dogs, and Parlays as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. You could let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty with these picks. At Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. Gumby, we are rolling on this show. Where should we go next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Liana Liu, the Italian fighter who is going to make his fight on the Contender Series, looking for that contract on week nine of Dana White's Contender Series, coming up a little bit later in this month. But before we get to that interview, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Liana Liu. All right, and joining me today is Leon Aliu, who fights Bruno Fajeda at Dana White's Contender Series. That fight is on week nine of the series, September 20th. So, Leon, I wanted to start here, you know, with, with everybody I've been talking to on the Contender Series. I always like hearing about how they felt when they got the call. Were you surprised that you were going to be on Contender Series, or is this something you had kind of come to expect? Uh, I mean, honestly... With my manager, we there there were there was a couple of months before we were we were we were working about this, so they they sent my name to the contender series, so they so we we was we were waiting for for the call, but I got a short notice notice for my for my last fight in uh, Cage Warriors, so I took that chance, so I did the fight. And after that, they, they called me after, I mean, one week or 10 days like this. So I have to imagine then, you know, even being that it was something that you, you'd kind of come to expect would probably happen. What were the emotions mm-hmm. like? What, what did it feel like when you finally, you know, knew that you were going to be fighting in front of Dana White for the contract? You know, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, uh, there are a lot of emotions, but, uh, you know, I, I'm working for this, so I feel ready, like, for this and uh, you know it's just um, just I'm going there I'm going there to do my job that's that's all and take this chance and finally take a UFC contract so which is the dream of every MMA fighter you know I like so, that. that's I, all I like that mentality a lot but I, I do want to ask too about like you said you're traveling quite a bit I mean in Cage Warriors of course you fought in England you know you fought in Luxembourg and of course your, your yeah. home country Italy plenty of times but this is kind of your first time traveling halfway across the globe. Is is that does that add extra pressure to the situation at all? Oh, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, it depends. It depends how I, I will face the fight week. How how I how I feel there. I hope everything will be okay because uh, you know, as I told you, the work will will be will be will be done. So. 
when I when I go there, I'll go prepared and I will do my job. So it's uh, you know it's we we are working a lot for this. So I'm going I'm going there with the right mentality and the best shape. So I will to take take this fight, take this win. Absolutely. Now so uh, I'm curious too about your situations once you get to the United States too. Are, are you going to get there early? Is it like a usual fight week for you? I know fighters sometimes, you know, get to the locations four or five days prior, but is this something you're going to acclimate yourself a little bit longer? No, honestly, we are. We still not, we are not, uh, we don't have the tickets, the date, but we are talking about maybe one week before the fight. So that's not, that's not bad. Um, And, and obviously, you know, you're going to have most of the technical work done. Like you said, you've already put in all the big preparation that you need to put in. But is there a place that you're going to be training and you're going to be working out prior? Is it just going to the PI since, you know, the fights are basically there anyway? Uh, when I'm there, you're saying in the uh, U.S., USA? Yes. I mean in the USA? Or, yep. Um, I think we were – one week is just the, the week for the weight cut. So we you don't, you don't have to do a lot of extra workouts. So I'm just gonna go there to do some pads in the hotel with, in the with my coach and uh, and to cut the weight and to to arrive to the weightings and after to regain and uh, get ready for the fight. That's all. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Now <laughs> I'm curious too. You know, you're you're one of the very few fighters who has come from Italy to be on the Contender Series. We obviously had uh, Diamini last season, but, like, there, there aren't very yeah. many guys from that part of the world. And, and, you know, you also represent Albania as well. There aren't many people from Albania yeah. who have been on the Contender Series. Do you feel yeah. a, a extra pressure to support your, your you know, represented countries? No, absolutely. I, I, I take this, like, a good energy, so this motivates me more. And for me, it's just, uh, just okay, it's, Something more, you know, it, it helps me. That's, that's the way I take, I take this, you know. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm, I'm curious too, though, because obviously, you know, with, with there being so few very famous fighters out of Italy, it, is there a big support at home behind MMA fighters? Like, is, is it a big deal when, when somebody from Italy gets a shot on the Contender Series and a shot to go to the UFC? Yeah, here uh, honestly, yes, it is. It's uh, because when you know when you are in a contender series, you are close to UFC, and uh, you know for Italy and also for Albania, you know being a UFC fighter, you 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 represent your country in uh, so very well. So it's it's a it's a extra help for me as as I thought. So yeah, I got a lot of support and. Uh, I got a lot of uh, friends and people around me who helped me a lot. Coaches, training partners, because I train in different gyms here when I do boxing or kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, and stuff like this. And so there are a lot of people who are helping me and supporting me. Well, that's so, re- that's great. So that's great to hear. And, and I'm glad that that, that becomes a, a energy that you get to bring with you to the cage. Now, I want to talk about actually getting into the cage, which is you're going to be fighting Bruno Fajeda. A lot of times when these fights get announced on Contender Series, a lot of these people don't know what their opponent looks like, hasn't seen their opponent. I'm assuming you've looked him up a little bit since then. What do you think of Bruno Fajeda? Uh, 
I know, you know, so I, I honestly, I've been watching some fight of this guy, and he looks like a big, strong guy. He's a short guy, and seems so large and strong, but, uh, you know, honestly, uh, looking to his record and the opponent has that he has faced, and looking the opponents that I have faced, there are a lot of difference, because he has fought in his home, uh, in hometown, you know, in his home, I'd be traveling around the world for fighting, going in the people's home and knocking people out. So, you know, uh, but we will see in 20 September when we will enter in the cage. Yeah, <laughs> so that's all. absolutely. That's what I think. Absolutely. Now, I'm curious too. You you mentioned that the fact that you've traveled around and beat people in their hometown has given you a lot of confidence. Yeah. That that win in Cage Titans, you know, the win over Webb, which was such a, you know, like such a monumental win for you. That does yeah. that fight give you the the extra confidence you need for a type of fight like this? Uh, yeah, it helps me. Yeah, no doubt about that. It proves how how dangerous I am. That it proves why I am a finish because I have finished all my fights, like my opponent too. But uh, yeah, it it. it he helped me a lot, yeah. And, and you mentioned, too, being a finisher. You're a guy who's finished all of his fights. D- does that take a little bit of ease off of your mind, too? Dana White obviously loves finishers. Some people have to come to these fights to put extra pressure on themselves. Do, do you feel no extra pressure? You just got to do what you got to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, every fight is a different fight, yeah. You know, but of course, uh, Dana White loves people uh, who finish the fight, and I will try to do all my best for this. I'm, I'm confident in my, I, I believe in my hands that I can knock this guy out, and I will do all my best. But also, that every fight has a, is a different fight, so everything can happen. So we are preparing for different situations. And obviously, you're like yes, you just said, you're you're preparing for every possible different situation, every possible way the fight yes. can go. But before I let any fighter go, I always like to try to get a prediction out of them. So, how do you see this one ending on September twentieth? Uh, yeah. Not only I see this, but I'm working for this year to finish this guy in the in the first round. That's that's I'm I'm working about and I'm I'm thinking about. I love it. And you heard it here first, folks. This has been Leon Aliu, who fights Bruno Fajeda at Dana White's Contender Series Week 9. That fight is on September 20th. Leon, thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, MMA Play 365 and, of course, Maroon Social. And speaking of socials, you can check us out on socials at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.